This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to On A Good Day with me, Elizabeth Callahan. And me, Julia Ajayi. This is the podcast which delves into brain injury and its impact on all involved. Hello and welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, we have a guest who brings a wealth of experience in helping brain injury survivors from her professional role as a speech and language therapist. For the past 28 years, she has helped people with neurological communication difficulties, both in hospitals and the community, And for the last 38 years, she's been a very dear friend of mine. Bindi Patel now works for the Stroke Association, helping survivors and their families with information and support. So what better a person to come on and talk to us about helping our loved ones with communication difficulties. Welcome to the show, Bindi. It's such a pleasure. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me and you're very welcome. Uh, I think it would be great to start with um, just hearing about what you're doing at the moment in your current role as a Stroke Support Coordinator. Um, Yeah, so for the last five years I worked for the Stroke Association, which is a national charity supporting stroke survivors. Um, And I work in their Chester Stroke Recovery Service. So we're commissioned by the NHS. I'm in a team of four um, colleagues. Um, when somebody's had a stroke um, and they're in hospital, um, they're referred to us and we go and visit them on the ward, preferably with their, when their relative is present. We're there to answer any questions. We're there for emotional support. We have lots of kind of literature and information that we can give them. And then we're able to support them for up to a year after their stroke. So um, on discharge from hospital, we um, visit them at home. We work very closely with the NHS stroke teams, so the community therapists, the medics, if appropriate. We support them with any kind of practical or emotional information that they need. We run some peer support groups. When you have a stroke, it's absolutely, you know, it can be devastating and life-changing and people that have had a stroke and their families, as, as you will both know, the support network is so important and feelings of isolation are very much present and connecting with other people who are not in the same situation because everybody's different, but experience something similar can be really positive. So, so those groups can be a bit of a lifeline for people. And then we also signpost to kind of other local services. So for example, you know, social services or transport services or um, other community groups and activities, because really the goal is to get people back participating in their community. What a hugely important role that I know not all of our listeners will have access to because 
different services are different in different parts of the country, aren't they? Yeah, that's that's right. And and these commission services only cover about a half of the country. Um, but as a charity, as a stroke association, we do also have um, national support, some online support, um, something called My Stroke Guide, which can connect people with forums and videos and information. We have a helpline and things as well. But you're absolutely right. It is a bit of a lottery and um, we're quite lucky in this area that we're sort of well-funded by the NHS. Yeah, it does sound really, really useful service. Great work that you're doing because at that time it is, there are so many questions and often there isn't yeah. anybody to answer them. So having somebody like you coming and saying, oh, well, you need to contact this association or, you know, we can find you some people that you can talk to that are in the same situation. Gosh, yes. There are so many bits, there are so many different things going on for people that can be really overwhelming and I think we're a bit of a sort of one-stop shop really and I, we always say to people if you don't know where to go come to us and we'll obviously we want to empower people to find information themselves but also sometimes people are just in too much of a it's too traumatic and they just feel lost and overwhelmed and we can hopefully be a bit of a guiding sort of presence really so they can get the support they need. And before that Binda you were a speech and language therapist weren't you? I, I was well I, I still am I still have my professional registration um, but I worked for the NHS for about 20 years, always with stroke actually, sometimes with other neurological conditions as well. And that was in acute hospitals, but mainly rehab. Um, so in hospital, but also um, community. So visiting people at home. And I do a bit of private work with, a, I have a couple of people with aphasia that I, I see every few weeks um, at the moment. That's been my sort of professional career really. And it has been great to take those skills and bring them into a sort of slightly different um, arena with this current job. I still use those skills, but I'm, although I'm not working as a speech therapist, um, but obviously everything I've learned from people that have had strokes over the years and their families and relatives is just invaluable resource to me really that I can support people that are going through it now. I'm really interested when you first seeing a patient who's been through such a trauma and whose communication skills are really really bad I know from you know my husband was he had aphasia had apraxia it was it was incredibly hard so how do you start as a speech and language therapist to even approach a patient and start those lines of communication going yeah um it's a good question I think it's about trying to see behind the person trying to see behind the aphasia the aphasia is the first sort of thing that you, you see because it's such an obvious thing to see if somebody's got a severe impairment. But I think getting as much information as you can about that person, usually from their relative, they're the person that knows them best. We're only seeing them as a as a patient in vertical. You know, that's the first that's our first encounter with them ever in their, you know, in our life. So I think trying to get some sense of who they are, um, what kind of approaches they might benefit from what kind of person they are you know are they quite a private person are they somebody that is going to engage with humor is there anything that they're interested in so I think going sort of armed with resources is is is, is the really important sort of first point and their resources in terms of knowledge about the person but also those personal things to somebody you know cards and photos and things you know we would always use those to sort of start some sort of conversation whilst acknowledging the fact that it's a really um, emotional time obviously for people and sometimes for people seeing those very personal things actually triggers 
quite a high level of upset and distress. So, you know, it's a bit of a kind of balance. But then also taking any kind of communication ramps that we can sometimes use with people don't always work. But if we've got any sort of communication charts or just using pen and paper to kind of, you know, write, I always show my name badge, you know, this is who I am. I'd write down Bindi and speech therapist, you know, using all your means of communication. It's not just about speech. It's about your tone of voice, your gesture, you know, saying something the other day about wearing a mask on the ward. And we were saying, you know, you have to communicate with your eyes, you know, it's much more difficult. And again, for somebody that's got a bit of a communication impairment, that's obviously an added hindrance, really. But I think just being, you know, just kind of going armed with knowledge, being really open minded, trying to find a rapport, trying to find some sort of way in. Just um, thinking about uh, you and Hector sharing a love of Arsenal, Bindi. I, I know <laughs> the conversations you have, I'm sure, are informed by your uh, professional speech and language therapy training, but also just, just that shows how important that connection and topic is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think just being, yeah, no, definitely. And being sort of just, le- just always being willing to kind of, you know, learn or, you know, find out, you know, I had a conversation the other day with somebody about motorbikes. Literally, I know nothing about motorbikes. It's really interesting, this specific thing. So I sort of ended up Googling it. So the next time I had a conversation with them, I had something to kind of, you know, go on. And, you know, they're simple things, but they're things that make you want to connect with people. It's about making a connection, really. Involve families and things as much as you can to sort of, they're the, they're the people that are closest, you know. So what can families do? To, to aid you first of all in hospital and then when they're at home I mean yeah. two I know two very separate things and you know yeah. different stages yeah um, I would say certainly in hospitals just just trying to try to kind of involve yourself in the therapy if possible and I know that's not always easy and it depends what the setting is like but provide maybe Sometimes as a speech service, we would leave at the bedside a kind of quest, sort of a kind of communication questionnaire for a relative to fill in, you know, tell me about this person, what's their normal day like, where are any places they visited, whatever. If you've got that, obviously fill it in and that's great. But even if you haven't, sometimes people, sometimes relatives just send in a sort of, you know, a little couple of sheets. This is about my husband, you know, these are the things we've done, these are the things he likes. You know, so any information you can give is 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 really good. Um, I think for relatives, sometimes they feel that they don't want to come across as being pushy. So they kind of I think it's a difficult balance to sort of gauge how much you phone up the ward or how much you phone up the therapist or whatever. But communication is not an isolated thing. It's a it's a it's a two way or multifaceted you know thing. So there's no point in just seeing a patient on their own. You know, you need to try and engage with you know the the family really um if you can are able to bring in as i say any any actual physical resources mobile phone phone with whatsapp on it if they're able to or an ipad you know don't forget the charger um, any photos anything that just kind of you know maps or postcards or anything that as i say can just sort of start to engage really it's really tough on on relatives but I think you know get yourself armed with information really and and if if it's difficult to get it from the hospital then go to other sources reliable sources so look at the stroke association website there's all sorts of information on there 
try and get some peer support yourself. You know, you're trying to look after yourself as well. Is it helpful to have, you know, different friend groups come that can kind of engage in different sorts of conversations? Because I know my husband, Mm -hmm. Paul, found that quite helpful to have friends from school coming to see him, Mm -hmm. friends from university. Mm -hmm. So like bringing kind of his world together and people that like football that he could chat to. Definitely, definitely. But, But by the same token, also acknowledging the fact that, you know, after a stroke, people are really tired. Fatigue is massive your brain is literally working in overdrive to try and recover so again just getting that balance I think relative you know they're desperate to come in and they're desperate to do and do and do and do and then actually sometimes you need to just pull back and you need to let the person just kind of you know rest to sort of take the cues from them but also get some advice from you know therapist or whoever's on the ward but yeah certainly a range of different types of stimulation and maybe you know if there if there is anything that the person can do themselves when you're not there because I think boredom is a massive sort of you know it's a massive factor isn't it people just kind of waiting for therapy or waiting for something to happen and what can they do in the meantime and again not always easy to find something and think of something but if there is something on an iPad that somebody can do or you know if you can speak to the staff and say I've brought this in if you have got time some hospitals have volunteers that will come and engage with 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 people on the ward so whatever resources there are really kind of you you know you utilize them how long would you say was a good sort of amount of time for people to kind of come in it's a very individual thing I mean yeah I think an hour is a long you know an hour is quite a long time for somebody and also you know visiting is in you know the afternoon they might have had some therapies they might have had they might have had to go to x-ray I guess you're coming in to see them but that's in a context of everything else that's going on. It's a very, I, I couldn't put time on it, I could think, but I think space it out. And also for yourselves as well. I think we used to have quite open visiting time that was between one and seven or something. And I know a lot of relatives felt obliged to come and sit for the whole time because they felt that they should. And actually that's just not helpful to them because they're going to be exhausted and it's not helpful to the person that's had the stroke because they're going to be exhausted. So I think just thinking about what works for you as well and what works for your, you know, your relative that's, that's, that's had a stroke. Um, but it's a very individual thing, really, I suppose. And I think also in terms of those visits, um, it's dependent on how long um, after the brain injury someone and, yeah. and their recovery and how severe it was as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely, there was quite a long period of time where um, I would say Hector was really, you know, not not aware very much of people mm-hmm. around. So it, I think, yeah. it became more distressing for for other people almost, and yeah. not helpful and not positive. So I think it's gauging all of that too, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But one thing I wanted to pick up on, Bindi, was when you were saying about um, bringing in all the resources, I think that's great, and having the communication information. And we had a communication book that we were given, which was helpful. It was by the bedside and the therapist could fill it in and we could fill it in. So it provided some continuity. But it can be difficult getting hold of therapists who actually... Mm see them can't it and and it always felt you know to be able to build a rapport um you know really really helped Um, but sometimes it did feel difficult to actually you know meet meet the therapists that were such an important playing such an important role yeah you know 
as uh, taking your loved one through that journey. So yeah, yeah. Uh, have you got any advice with that? Uh, it is difficult. And, you know, as we all know, these people are, you know, busy and they will have a massive caseload. And unfortunately, your relative is one of, 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 of many that they have. I mean, I think that the, even just the notebook by the bed, if you can get people to comply with that is a good thing because they could just write a couple of lines about what, what they've been doing and you know that they've been, been seen as well. I guess just trying to catch people at a good time, you know, sometimes first thing in the morning when they've just come in, you know, they might not want to speak to you, but, you know, a kind of half past eight in the morning before they start, you know, might be might be a way. If you can email, sometimes that's easier. So is it possible to have an email for you, please? Just send them an email saying if there's a good time, it'd be really, I'd really appreciate you talking to me because otherwise they're having to respond to a, the phone ringing while everything else is going on. So um, I know it's difficult. It depends a lot on how long somebody's in hospital for as well, you know, because if they're in for a really, really lengthy period of time, you don't necessarily want, you don't necessarily need to be contacting, you know, all the time and every day, you know, you don't, you don't want to do that. Um, you need to hopefully trust, have some trust in them that they're doing the right thing as well. But just saying, I guess if you're asking for something, ask for something specific. So it'd be really helpful if I could meet you and we could do a session together because I really want to know how to help, you know, Hector with his hand exercises or his, you know, writing or I'm going to bring in an iPad and I wonder. So kind of asking for something specific rather than just kind of saying, just, you know, I just want to be there. I just want to meet you. That's really helpful. Thank you. I think all of those tips, you know, and the learning that we've had, as we've gone along is something that we really want to share with people at different parts of their journey. But at thinking about that hospital stage, I think there is so much going on. People can listen to this and, and yeah. have some reminders and hints about what can really help. Definitely. And as I said, getting that kind of external support for yourselves as well from either forums on, you know, online or, you might have like carers trust or something like that you know or the services that can support because some people are suddenly carer you know they're like well I'm not a carer I'm you know I'm a wife or a husband or a mother or whatever it is you know and it's a very that change in role you know it's just so massive as, as, you, as you guys will know it's life changing you look yeah. after yourselves if you don't look after yourselves you're not going to be able to look after absolutely it's that it's so so important isn't it to make sure that you, yeah, look after you, so then you can best look after Absolutely. the patient and other family members that you've yeah, got. Both yeah. Julia and I had very young children when our yeah. husbands were in hospital when yeah. it first yeah. happened. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So moving on to when they come home and kind of the strategies that families can help when they're actually at home and anything that um, they can do on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, any tips that you can give us? I mean, I think just trying to have, if we're talking about people with, you know, aphasia or communication difficulty, I think just trying to have some sort of 
if possible, trying to have some sort of protected time for that is important if you can. I know it's busy and sometimes there are carers coming in and then you're doing everything, your normal things in the house, plus other probably caring things as well. But I think just that value of sitting down with somebody, having a quiet time, even if it's 10 minutes, and trying to have just to sit and have a conversation um, is sort of invaluable, really. Because when somebody's got a communication difficulty there, communication can be sort of sometimes by other people kind of narrowed down to sort of basic needs. So they're trying to tell you something and, you, and everybody's just going, this is particularly in the hospital, but even sometimes at home, you know, oh, is it, you know, do you need a drink or do you need the loo or do you want to have a shower? And it might just be, you know, actually, I want to know what the football result is or I want to, you know, goodness me, like, why is everybody queuing for petrol or, you know, what's on the news or, you know, communication is so rich and it can just be the richness can be stripped away and I think just giving people a bit of time just to sit and talk about what they want to talk about and that may be just having a newspaper you know your old school or the BBC news if you're if you're on your iPad or you know flicking through something or or just sitting and you know just sitting there and say we don't have to say anything but we're just going to sit and you know just have a bit of time a bit of quiet time together because it can just be mad and overwhelming I think for everybody and, and then it's just about whatever goals whatever things you, you you and your partner want to you know want to achieve really you know so if it's about you know what's important what about is it about you know getting out of the house or is it about seeing somebody on a video chat or is it about trying to send an email or is it about writing a shopping list together I think involve the person I think when you've got communication difficulties, so much sort of autonomy is taken away and control is, is passed onto somebody else. So even if it's just, you know, I'm, this is my list, anything else that you want, let's have a look in the cupboard, you know. So I think just trying to engage the person and involve them and not just sort of take over everything because they will already feel that anyway. What's about when it comes to reading and writing? It depends to sort of what, what level, I suppose. You can look at kind of um, alternatives. So if somebody's not able to read, then what other alternatives are there? Can they listen to an audio book or, you know, something like that? Can they, can you use any sort of te- technology, spell checking and things like that? Can you do, um, you know, activities using to learn how to spell? But all I would say is, as with any therapy, it's got to be sort of targeted. So if it's like they want to, um, I don't know, I suppose they give sort of a, a kind of functional goal. So say they want to write a birthday card or something. Rather than just practicing writing, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, it's not really meaningful or writing out the days of the week, it's not really meaningful. Whereas if you've got a calendar, say, that's the calendar that you use, a written one, and you, and you want to write people's birthdays on it, then you could maybe practice writing you know, your family names or something so you could practice copying you could use scrabble letters and rearrange them so they're not having to generate it from themselves they've got they've got some individual letters to sort of rearrange yeah there are quite a few things like that but I suppose make it function make it make it meaningful if, you, if you're going shopping and they're not able to kind of write the list but you could have a list of things and they could tick them off or if you go on to, you know, Sainsbury's online, it's all in kind of categories, you know. So you could say, look at the tabs across the top. There's bakery, fruit, something, something. And again, it's in context, you know, it's there with the Sainsbury's logo and it might sort of 
the context is so important for kind of comprehension of things that they might be able to point to, you know, the bakery one or whatever, you might, and then you could go into that and go, okay, look, it says there's pictures as well. So that helps. There's bread, there's whatever, you know, there's bagels, and then maybe they could copy it down. So using kind of existing resources, I suppose, to, to facilitate is much better than doing something that's really out of context. Mm. When Paul first came out of hospital, it was sort of the end of November, and I got him to write, most of the Christmas cards yeah <laughs> I mean brilliant so, yeah yeah so it's giving them something that's purposeful, purposeful. and that's oh, fairly helpful yeah exactly. you know for, yeah. for me as well yeah yeah, yeah. I one of the things that I have noticed though is that um there seem to be fewer opportunities for writing in a purposeful way yeah just writing a birthday card Christmas only comes around yeah. once a year. yeah yeah, you know, with we actually all write so much less, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I found that that Hector's writing, I think, has really suffered mm. of not having that mm. right. as much reinforcement. Maybe yeah. does. Yeah. One of the things recently that that we've really started using, and in fact, I have as well, which has been a bit of a game changer, is the voice recognition actually being able to record a message by speaking into the phone yeah has really really helped him produce written content and another thing that he is quite fond of using is twitter because it's very short yeah pieces of text yeah Yeah. because he struggles with much longer sentences both reading and writing shorter messages and you know whatsapp emojis are a game changer as well because you're able to just pick something quickly that that reflects something without having to write you know so again if you're on facebook or something and you want to like something or you know put a heart or something i mean i i just think they're brilliant you know <laughs> um because you can communicate and engage but you don't have the the the, the constraints or the you know the difficulties of having to and there's loads of Loads of technology which is built in, I suppose, now, like, you know, with, with Siri or, or something, you know, can you send a text message to whatever, you know, and it will say this and this, you know, on your phone or, you know, dictation software and things. You probably know this, but there's something called the Aphasia Software Finder. It's by the Tavistock Trust and um, it's online and it sort of shows all sorts of different software for any sort of anything to do with aphasia really so that's quite a quite a good um little tip to have a look if somebody's looking for any sort of tech the evidence in terms of speech therapy is that what we call item specific things are are more likely to be maintained so if you're treating a kind of core vocabulary that can be sort of learnt by somebody but if you're treating if you're if you're if you're just kind of learning to spell random words it doesn't necessarily kind of going to generalise to other sort of random words, if you know what I mean. So I think trying to make it sort of targeted is is important. But the good, the other good thing to say about those apps and things is that again, it, it's giving somebody something purposeful to do, and perhaps something that they can begin to do on their own, and that's also really really important and really powerful. Um, a couple of others I'll just tell you about. So there's something called Q Speak C U E 
it's a bit quirky. <laughs> um, I quite like it. Um, and then there's React 2 is a software which is a paid for, I think, a licensed one. And um, I think the other one is step by step. And they're quite sort of comprehensive therapy apps, which some speech therapy departments will have. Um, but there are also all sorts of other things on you know, Android and Apple as well. And then the software finder is quite a good starting point. Really helpful. They sound great. What do you feel are some of the qualities that us as supporters kind of need to bring? Because um, I know patience is definitely one of them. But is there, you know, when you're, um, I guess, some of the qualities that you must have as a speech and language therapy, what are some that we maybe need to grow or, you know, improve when we're living with someone? <laughs> What's the question? Um, trying to get sort of balance, really. I think the your relationship can become very unbalanced because you're you've become a carer to your partner, and that wasn't how it was before. Before it was probably a bit more, you know, more sort of even. So the kind of balance of sort of responsibility has changed. So anything you can do to sort of even that out a bit, a bit like we were saying earlier about just involving the person in decision making, trying to remember that the aphasia or the communication difficulty you know can be a bit of a mask and behind that mask that person is still there and and you know that you know but sometimes it's that can sort of get lost and, and that person is still you know a competent person with with wishes and needs and desires and that's something that we as therapists have to absolutely remember but as, as as relatives, you know, you you obviously know that, but particularly a severe communication impairment can kind of mask that person's kind of competence, really. So and I think I think the way you respond to other people as well. So sometimes somebody else might come and then they just talk to you and they don't talk to your partner. So I think just gently sort of either explaining to them or even telling them beforehand, you know, this is a way to do it or at the time saying, oh, well, I well, I don't really know what I think, but, you know, what do you think? And so bringing your relative or partner sort of, you know, into a conversation. Um, I think educating other people around about what's helpful is also really important. And listening is really important. <laughs> you know, really taking time to listen and not sort of rush, really. And to, and to acknowledge that, you know, there will be good and bad days and the bad days yeah, they're going to be bad and you're all, we're all allowed to feel those, but, you know, all is not lost. And then just, you know, trying to pick yourself up and, and, and go on to the next one. Just take it day by day, really, not to look too far ahead. And also try not to look too far back as well. I think especially early on, you were always going to be looking at this is how it was before. And gradually, as I'm sure you've both experienced, you, you begin to see that, you know, we're not going to be as we were before. But these are the positive things that we can we can take forward, and how do we make this situation as good as we can for both of us? You know. Yes, and I uh, I know I remember a conversation that we had many years ago, Bindi, when um, I asked you if Hector was going to um, get better and if his speech was going to return to as it was before, and um, I think you were you were quite clear that it probably wouldn't, which I remember at the time being a real shock. But I, but also, of course, that was very realistic. Um, and I think that having the support from you and other friends along the way to, you know, as a family unit, then we've been able to move to that new, new position yeah. we're all in, um, which yeah. I think is uh, one of 
optimism and acceptance and you know you do start to be able to enjoy life it might yeah. be way but uh, there's so much still to gain from it isn't there yeah and I think I think it's I always say to people it depends what your measure of recovery is you know so if your measure of recovery is speech then you might class that as you know the recovery isn't brilliant but if your measure of recovery is you know is this person able to you know engage the community or get back to work or you know participate in things then participation is the sort of goal the person is still making progress because they're beginning to they can do more things even if the language impairment is still the same and I think another thing that I wanted to add with with what you said is that I definitely can remember situations where I tried to fill all the gaps you know and and being in social situations where I was just you know I came away and I thought oh my gosh I've just been talking talking yeah to the dozen because yeah, all yeah. of those spaces that Hector would have been talking in before you filled them and I was talking for myself I think but I think it can be difficult to be comfortable with silence I think time has enabled me to relax and see that actually I don't have to fill all the gaps yeah well thank you so much for coming on Bindi it's been an absolute pleasure and I've learned so much and you've really given us some great tips and strategies to that we can really put in place and just your experience of being in the hospitals and then out in the community as well is just really really helpful and I know it's going to be of great value to our listeners so thank you so much for your time you're very welcome thank you and I also want to say Bindi thank you so much for all this personal support that you've given us over the years because it's so helpful when you've got someone that knows what you're going through that can help you in that way yeah I've also learned a lot so much from you as well Jules because I think having somebody so close you know I've never known anybody this close to me in this situation either so you know that's been so many of the conversations that we've had I've taken away into into what you know my work life as well so we've learned from each other I think. In the podcast Bindi we're looking at you know positive things as well as some of the challenges and I think that our friendship's really grown through this as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah definitely. You know that's a that's a really positive in my life so thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode wasn't there so much great info in there from those early days when someone's recovering from a stroke in hospital and some great tips to use at home too for those who have aphasia and other communication difficulties. When she talked about finding time to sit down together, that really resonated. And also finding purposeful activities, so, so important for everybody. Now, there are so many people we know that would benefit from this episode. So we would love you to do us a favor and help us to get this out to as many people as possible. How can you do that? Well, just take a screenshot of this episode on your mobile and share on your social media channels, making sure you tag us. We're on a good dot day on Instagram and Twitter on a good underscore day. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And how about leaving us a five-star review? Until next time, thanks for listening and have a very good day.